My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here. And I'm really excited. We're kicking off a new teaching series today. And we're celebrating 17 years ago, Grace Church was planted in the living room of our lead pastor and his wife, Sean and Billy Jane Sears. Um, and just so you guys know, it, it's, it's been a two weekends of birthday celebrations for me. Last weekend, I celebrated, last Sunday, I celebrated, um, my 30th birthday. It was a great Sunday. Thank you. Um, you guys didn't get me anything, but it's fine. Uh, Here's what's happened. It's actually, I, I wasn't expecting this. Um, nobody told me this was going to happen, but what, but what I've found since I turned 30, um, and I've actually talked with a few of you about this, is it's led me to do a lot of reflecting. Like I've been in a, doing a lot of like contemplating and like reflecting like, oh my gosh, what have the last 10 years been? Like why, what got me out of bed each morning? What has God done in my life? Who has he put in my life? And I started to think, and just in the last 10 years, I graduated college. I got married. I moved from Boston to Austin, Texas. And then I moved back to Boston from Austin. And my wife and I helped plant this church. We helped uh, plant and launch a kids and student ministry. I've seen friends celebrate the birth of their first child. And I've seen people that I, I really care about pass away. I've seen people that were far from God find him, some of which are sitting in this room right now. I've also seen people that said they were followers of Jesus walk, walk away from the faith. I've made friendships that will last a lifetime, and I've seen friends that I thought would be there forever fade into the background. I've had seasons with Jesus where it felt as if he was just sitting right next to me. And then I've also had seasons where Truthfully, I've wondered if he even remembers I exist. All of that within 10 years of life. Um, as you look back, past 10 years, what have you seen? What shaped you? What, what is, let, let me ask you this. What, what is something in your life that, that drives what you do? or drives how you live? Is it, is it money? Is it power or influence? Is it family? Is it your career? Is it your kids? Is it a relationship that you're in? Is it, or is it God? Is it, is, or is it what people might think about you? Or truthfully, if you were thinking about what drives you this morning, you're, you don't know if there's anything. Like, I don't know if there's anything, maybe you're saying, that's driving me. Do you know what typically, if I, if I were to sit down with each of you and ask you that question, you know what typically wouldn't make your list of something that drives you? Death. Death. Probably wouldn't make your list. Uh, but you know what's really fascinating to me? I, I've spent... You know, I have, I had some, I, I've had some great grandparents, um, just phenomenal grandparents that I've been able to sit and learn from and talk with. And even I've been able to have conversations with people here at this church that are maybe a little older in life. And one thing that's always fascinated me and I've, I've learned is that death is actually something that drives what they do. And I know right now some of you are like, Brandon, I thought it was a birthday celebration. <laughs> Why are we talking about death? Uh, just bear with me. 
just bear with me. It, it fascinates me that some of these conversations I have with people, like death actually is a driving factor. It, it shapes how they love people. It, it shapes how they, how, how they give. It, it shapes how they uh, evaluate their time and what they do with their time. It, it shapes uh, what they do with relationships. It shapes how much and how often they forgive other people. It shapes everything and drives everything in their life. And what's interesting is that's actually biblical. Like to keep death in that kind of driving force in your life, that's actually biblical. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verses two to four. This is written by a guy named Solomon. He says this, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Listen to this next part, so interesting. For sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. And Solomon's not being morbid here. Solomon is actually sharing a life hack with us. Now, what this doesn't mean, and I'm not encouraging you to do, is to start showing up at funerals all over the city and say like, you know, the Bible told me I had to be here. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not, that's not what I'm getting at. What I am getting at is this should change our perspective a little bit. This should be a driver in, in our lives. And so interesting, I was doing some research on this and there's actually an ancient group of monks called the Benedictine monks. And they took this to heart and actually lived this out. And there's a, a, an author and a, a pastor and his name was, uh, his name was Eugene Peterson. And um, him and his wife actually went and spent some time with the Benedictine mon- monks at one of their monasteries. And he shares this story I want to share with you. Says that he said this, Jan, that's his wife, Jan and I were visiting a Benedictine monastery, Christ in the Desert, in New Mexico. And one of the brothers was leading us on a path from prayers in the chapel to the refectory where we would have lunch. The path led through the cemetery and we passed an open grave and Jan said, oh, did one of the brothers just die? And the monk responded, no, that is for the next one. Three times a day on their way from praying together or eating together, the monks are reminded that one of them will be the next one. The monks pass this grave every single day, not, with, not in a morbid way, but in a reminder that they will die. So what really matters? With that in mind, each and every day, three times a day, you're walking past that. You're, they're, they're being reminded, Here, here's what matters. And in this series, we're going to be talking about legacy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And what might be hard for you is that this is going to require you to not only look at the legacy that you, you're, you're currently leaving, but also look at the future and what, what is your legacy trajectory What is the trajectory your legacy is on? What is the path that you're on? Each one of us, we want to make some kind of a difference in our lives. In fact, if you look at Generation Z, which is, you know, the young generation that's that's coming up, polls, research, you, you look it up yourself. If there is one thing that that generation is longing for and, and, and is seeking, 
It's to make a difference. It's to be world changers. It's to belong to something bigger than themselves. Some sort of cause, some sort of, some sort of life-changing like legacy to be a part of. That, that's what they're, they're longing for. And each of us wants some sort of difference in our life. And our, our legacy is what we've done that actually survives after we're gone. It's the return on investment that we made with our life. And this morning, whether you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus or you're agnostic or you're an atheist or you're a Muslim or you're a Buddhist or you're Catholic or you're Jewish, here's what every single one of us in this room, we all have in common. One day we will die and one day we will leave a legacy. No matter your history, no matter what you believe today, every single one of us, we have that in common. So today we're going to be looking at how can we craft a legacy that is driven by eternity? Not driven by present circumstances, but a legacy that's driven by eternity. And what's so amazing about each and every one of us sitting here today is this. You've been given a gift. You've been given a gift. I've been given a gift. And that gift is breath in your lungs. That gift is that you got up out of bed this morning, got in your car or walked or rode your bike or whatever, and you're sitting in this room now. Every single one of us, we've been given the same gift today, life. And the question is, what will you do with it? How will you live out the rest of your day? Even today, how will you live out the rest of November 5th, this Sunday, 2022? Will you make a wise investment with the gift that you've been given or will you make a foolish purchase? And Jesus, towards the end of his life, he actually talks about this a lot with his, his followers and his, his disciples about how they should invest what they've been given. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, first book of what's called the New Testament. It's like the second half of your Bible. Um, if you don't have a, a physical Bible, there should be Bibles on the seats in front of you and, or, or download the Bible app if you don't have it. Super easy way to just kind of navigate the Bible. Matthew chapter 25, and here's what's going on. Jesus' disciples, they know that he's getting ready to leave them. They're, they're not sure what's happening, but they know something is happening. And they're, they're wondering like, what, what should we do? Like when you're gone, how should we live? What should we do? And so Jesus begins speaking about the future and he gives them advice on how they should live until he comes back someday. And what's so cool about this passage that we're going to read, which is verses 14 to 30 of Matthew 25, what's so cool about this is it was just as true 2000 years ago as it is today. It's just as applicable and he illustrates this, this teaching, this story, um, through what's called a parable. A parable of three servants. And I, I want to read the whole parable to you so you get like a, a full picture of what's happening. So Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. It'll be on the screens for you to follow as well. Jesus said this, And again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. And the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Notice that phrasing, how they had used his money. It's interesting. The servant to whom he entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five bags more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But their master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Each one of us in this room, we are the servants. We've been given a gift. Some of you have been given a lot. Some of you have been given a little but all equally a gift. And someday as followers of Jesus, we believe that he's going to come back and he will ask to us, every single one of us, what did you do with the gift that I gave you? How did you invest it? L listen to these powerful world words from Jesus in the, in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22 12 to 13. This is Jesus talking. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, a, a, a common misconception we can read. We can read a verse like that and we can slip into like this common misconception. And that misconception is that we just need to do a bunch of good things so it outweighs our bad. If Jesus comes back someday, as long as we just did more good things than bad things, we're good. And if you've tried that, like me, what you've found is you do a lot more bad things. It's impossible to do that. And, and in fact, that, that kind of thinking, it's not biblically based. In fact, it directly contradicts scripture. 
Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. So that none of us can boast about it. It is because of God's grace he made a way for us to be saved. It is then through putting our faith in Jesus and him alone can we be saved, and it's through our life we show that we have been saved. You guys catch that? It is, it is a gift to be received. We then choose to take that gift. We then live in such a way to show that we have accepted the gift of God. It's all a gift that you and I didn't deserve. Grace is just that. It's, it's being spared from something even though we deserve punishment. It's, it's, it's like if I was standing in a courtroom right now on trial and all of the evidence was stacked against me. Like, I'm guilty. There's no getting right. I am guilty on all counts. I'm standing there before the judge, and as I'm standing there, a man walks in and says, I'll take his place. I know he's guilty on all accounts, but you know what? I'll take his punishment. In that moment, I receive grace. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's exactly it. That is the scenario. Listen, Paul, Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, he's writing a church to the letter in Rome. Uh, uh, he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he says this, chapter eight, six to eleven. When we were utterly helpless, when we were standing on trial with evidence stacked against us, guilty on all counts. Listen, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still guilty on all accounts. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies... He will certainly be saved through the life of his son. That is what Jesus did for us. What he did for you. What he did for me. And today I want you to know that no matter where you are in life, no matter what baggage you walked into this room carrying, no matter what your family history is, no matter what addictions you might have, no, no matter what you came in this room believing, this is true about you. These verses are true about you. Jesus really did live. He really is God. He really did die. He really did rise from the dead and he really can save you. The rest is up to you though. Those are all the things Jesus did. Now, now you're faced with a decision and this leads me to the next question that we have to ponder when we think about Legacy, and it's this, what will you do with what God has given you? Okay, so you, you've been given the gift of life today. What will you do with it? God extended grace to us through his son, Jesus. What, what will you do with it? 
You have a choice today with the gift that you've been given. And on, on the one hand, you can use the life that God gave you and you can live for yourself. You, you can buy whatever you want. You can sleep with whoever you want. You can scam whoever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can live however you want. You can do that. But at the end of your life someday, your legacy may be etched in the history books and still not be found in the book of life. Or, on the other hand, you can use the life that God gave you and live for him. You can accept the free gift of grace that he has extended through Jesus. You can confess that Jesus is the Lord of your life and choose to live the rest of your life trying your best to imitate Jesus in every area. I love Paul Paul goes on goes on to say in, in one of his other letters he he says listen it is no longer I who live it's no longer Paul who lives it's no longer Brandon who lives it is now Christ who lives in me. Everything I do, my whole aim, my whole life is now centered around trying to represent Jesus best to those around me. That's who now lives, not Brandon, not Paul. And at the end of your life someday, when you choose this path, your legacy on this side of eternity may be forgotten. But Jesus will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servants. Our hope as a church, my hope as a church is that the legacy that we leave is the ladder. It's the ladder that Jesus would look at me, that Jesus would look at you, that, that Jesus would look at Grace Church in West Bridgewater and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. That God would continue to use us to reach those that are far from him. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this. We talked about this a little bit, but in the United States, we're talking about the least religious states. In the, in, in the entire country, the least religious states, the top five least religious states in our entire country are all in New England. They're all in New England. Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Rhode Island, great job. That's not something I'm proud of. And here's what's crazy. Some of you might know this. New England used to be the center for Jesus. It was, it was a place of revival. It was a place of the great awakenings. It was a place where people flew from all over the world to just encounter and see God's love. And now here we are a few hundred years later, a hundred years later, and top five least religious states in the country. And in just Plymouth County alone, this weekend, this Sunday, 97 0.76% of all of Plymouth County will not walk into a church this weekend. 2.74% will. Just in this county. And let me, let me talk to the followers of Jesus in the room for a minute. 
because we can see those stats and all they are for us, or they can just become stats on a page. Those are your friends. Those are my neighbors. Those are your coworkers. Those are your parents. Those are your siblings. Those are people that God is longing to have a relationship with. Every single one of them. And today God has given you a gift, a gift of of life, another another day to 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 be Jesus to them, to to care for them, to love them, to 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 serve them all in hopes that maybe they catch a glimpse of Jesus and they say, I want whatever you have. And then someday they spend eternity with him. Is that not more important than a political disagreement? Is that not more important than a family feud? Is that not more important than winning an argument? Is that not more important than just a difference in opinion? Listen, uh, Jesus' heart towards those that are far from him in Matthew 9, we get a glimpse of it. Matthew 9, 36 to 38, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Guys, this is a prayer that I pray every single day for New England. Every single day. If there's one thing I've learned about um, being back in, you know, we moved to Texas, we moved back. And if there's one thing that God opened my eyes to, it's, it's not that the harvest is, isn't plentiful. There's a misconception in the country that, that people in New England don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. But if there's anything I've learned in my almost five years of doing ministry here, it's the opposite is true. It's not that the harvest isn't plentiful, it's that the workers are few. If you have chosen to follow Jesus this morning, you are the workers that God has called to go and harvest what's out there to go and reach the people that are maybe one conversation away from choosing Jesus in their life. You are the people to reach your friends, to reach your neighbors, to reach your coworkers. You are those people. We don't, when, when we die, we don't take with us the money that's in the bank. We don't take with us how many things we bought, the jet skis, the boats, which if you do have those, I'd love to use those next summer. (laughs) Our legacy, we don't take with us how many houses we have or how high you went on the corporate ladder or how many buildings are named after you. The legacy that we take with us is the number of people that were able to find Jesus and will spend eternity with him because of how you invested what God has given you. That's it. That's a legacy that's driven by eternity. So what do we, you know, what do we do from here? 
How can we live a legacy that's driven by eternity? Well, well, first, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if you have a friend that is disconnected from God. Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. As a church, we will be done when no one raises their hand. We'll be done. When I ask the question, how many of you have friends that are disconnected from God and no one raises their hand, we're done. Until that moment, until that day, we have people to reach. We have churches that need to be planted. We have disciples to make. We have prayers to pray. We have to put God first in our finances. We have to adjust our calendar to make room to serve those around us and serve the body of Christ. We have to reconcile with our spouse. We have to come home from work early and spend time with our kids. We have to read scripture daily and spend time memorizing it. And I want, you to, I want to remind all of you of our mission as a, as a church, the Big C Church. It's to make more disciples. And when I say the Big C Church, I'm talking about the global church, not just Grace Church in West Bridgewater. And one of the ways that we can do that is actually, um, we, we were sitting down and we were talking through this as, a, as the pastoral team. And we were like, what if, what if every time a Grace Church started in four years, they planted or started another church? So you can put up this graphic. So if, if every Grace Church every four years started a new church, in 20 years, we will have started 128 churches. 20 years, 128 churches. Now let's say we did that for 36 years. Every four years, we started a new church. That means in 36 years, we would have planted 2,048 churches in New England. You can throw up that that picture. 2,048 churches in 36 years. If each church just reproduced every four years. 2,048 churches. So then we started asking, well, if if that's the case, how how many towns are represented in all of New England? Not just Massachusetts, but in all of New England. Do you know how many towns there are? As of 2016... There are 1,527 towns in all of New England, which means that in 36 years, if we actually did this, every town in all of New England would have a gospel-preaching church. Now, some of you are like, good luck, right? That is a God-sized dream. But our God's not too small for that. The God of the Bible said a word and the universe was created. I think he can do that. 2,048 churches, 1,527 towns. But that takes intentionality. That takes being reminded daily that our legacy needs to be driven by eternity. Now, if this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're sitting here, I want you to hear that this is what we are all about as a church. This is what we are all about as a church. This isn't a country club. This is a hospital on mission 
And today I want you to hear that no matter how far away from God you may feel, I promise you, he is just one breath away. He is one breath away waiting to welcome you into his arms. He gave up everything that he had, his one and only son, to make a way, to take your place. As you stood there on trial, guilty, Jesus came in and said, I will take his place. So that your relationship with God could be restored. And you can pray right now and change your legacy, change your eternity. You can choose to follow Jesus right now, no matter where you are. No matter what your struggles are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your beliefs were when you walked into this room, you can change your eternity. You can change your legacy right now. If that's the step you want to take, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this prayer. God, I have disobeyed you and been selfish towards others. And I'm sorry. I've been running from you and living for myself. And I see now that without Jesus, I have come to a dead end. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Amen. And the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you just pray that prayer and you believe it in your heart, the Bible tells us that there is a transformation that just took place. That your eternity was changed. And we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you prayed that prayer, come and find me after the service. I'd love to celebrate with you and I'd love to help you take your next steps. I'm going to close. I want to I leave you all with this just amazing story. We have a young guy in our church, young adult. Um, he works at a nursing home. And so cool. He's actually, I got coffee with him on Friday and he told me this story. He actually has struck up a relationship with one of the residents there and he's gotten to know this guy and started asking questions and he found out that this guy is actually a follower of Jesus. This resident at the nursing home. And he said, hey, like I... I've noticed you have a lot of wisdom and I was wondering if I could just come in and ask you questions. And the guy said, oh yeah, absolutely, come in. And So last Sunday, he went and sat down with him and did like an interview. And I want to share just a little piece of, of that with you now. So the guy at our church, he asked him, what is your relationship with God like now? And this was the man's response. Well, after I had the two strokes, after I got over that, I was limited in my movements. So I went back to understand more about God, and I had sort of a revelation, but I wouldn't say it was God speaking directly to me, but he speaks to all of us directly if we listen. What happened was I was feeling compelled to reach out to do something to get the elders especially in nursing homes and places where they're alone, to reach out to God through a podcast or maybe through a Bible study. And if we can get this thing going, it would be well-suited for the elderly or, or really anyone who wants to share and hear God's word. It won't be too taxing for anyone, I hope. And I want to keep it around 20 minutes long and they can listen to the message. And as far as young people, 
I think that regardless of their age, the sooner they come to Christ, the better. It won't necessarily be an easy life, but it will be a life with Christ. He is our Heavenly Father for all eternity. They can read, study the Bible at their leisure, but young people, the sooner they come to Christ, the better their lives will be from now until eternity. This guy is committed to starting a Bible study in his nursing home to reach the people there that may have been forgotten. And he offers this wisdom for young people because he has eternity set before him. This is a legacy that's driven by eternity. Let's pray together. God, we, we say thank you for the gift of today. We just stop and we say thank you. It can be easy in our lives, God, our, the busyness of, of our lives with kids and school and, and jobs and family and friends. God, it can be so easy to overlook the little things that you have given us each and every day and not say Thank you. And so we say thank you. God, I pray that our present circumstances wouldn't be what we're trying to craft a legacy around, but rather, God, that we would be driven with eternity in mind when we think about our legacy. That even though no one may remember us on this side of eternity, God, if we Hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. God, that is enough. God, for the people in this room that, that might not know you, I pray that today they, would, they wouldn't leave this place without taking that step, without responding to the call that you're putting in their lives, in their hearts. That they would choose to, to follow you, to go all in this morning, to stop living for themselves. God, we found what that offers, what that brings. And God, I pray for those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, God, that we wouldn't stop until this entire community, until all of our friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers, until they know you. That's what we're asking for this morning. And we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.